This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. Hello and welcome to Reality Kick. Today is Wednesday, the 4th of July, 2018, and I'm your host, Tony Pittman. This is episode 77 of Reality Check here on Joy 94.9. Reality Check is a show designed to give you a healthy dose of reality. And we do that by promoting the art of critical thinking and skeptical analysis. Each show, we bring you a roundup of LGBT news, followed by an in-depth analysis of an issue related to the paranormal or the pseudoscientific. And finally, we wrap up each show with a movie review. On today's show, after our LGBT news roundup, we're going to take a look at Supreme Master Ching Hai. She runs the Loving Hut vegetarian restaurant chain and has hundreds of thousands of followers across the world. She claims to have attained true enlightenment, just like the Buddha, and now she's going to save humanity and make us all vegan. Sounds like a lovely lady, right? I guess we should all jump on board and join her worldwide cult. Well, maybe not. We'll investigate. Then, in our movie review, we'll have a look at the new French film about ACT UP and AIDS, in the early 90s, BPM. So for all that and more, stay tuned to Reality Check here on Joy get into our LGBT news roundup for the period since our last episode of Reality Check back on the 2nd of March, which is just over four months ago. And let's start, as usual, with marriage news. And, well, I'm sorry to report, dear listener, that unfortunately there is no marriage news. Well, no good news, anyway. Nowhere in the world achieved marriage equality over these last few months. And one place actually took it away. Well, kind of. So let's go to that place, and that place is Bermuda, which we've talked about before here on Reality Check, but let's go back there and see what's happened. 
So Bermuda had marriage equality for just over a year from May 2017 to May 2018. Bermuda got marriage equality through a decision of the Bermudian Supreme Court, but unfortunately it was taken away just a few weeks ago by an act of the Bermudian Parliament. However, don't lose hope, dear listener, because it may still come back. Because two lawsuits have been filed against the newly imposed ban on marriage equality, and so the Bermudian Supreme Court is now set to rule on the issue once again. So, it may well be that same-sex weddings get going again in Bermuda in the next few months. Hopefully, we'll just have to wait and see. It's all become terribly complicated, unnecessarily complicated, but hopefully it will all be resolved very soon, and hopefully resolved in favor of equality. Fingers crossed. Now, as I said, that's all the news we have on marriage, but we do have some other LGBT news to report, and some good news from a place that's not too far from Bermuda, and that place is Trinidad and Tobago. And the good news is that Trinidad and Tobago has just become the latest country to decriminalize homosexuality. It happened in April when the country's high court found that the local sodomy law, or buggery law, as it's known there, was unconstitutional. And so, just like that, it was gone. The judge, in his decision, compared prejudice against LGBT people to prejudice against black people during apartheid and prejudice against Jews during the Holocaust. They're strong words, but good to hear, and words that I agree with wholeheartedly. Now, the decriminalization process in Trinidad and Tobago is not quite finished yet. There's going to be another court decision later this month to determine exactly what happens to the unconstitutional sections of the criminal code. And then the government plans to appeal the ruling to the Privy Council in London because it wants a final determination from the highest possible court to end this law once and for all. Yes, dear listener, believe it or not, the government itself wants this law abolished for good so that it can never come back, which is extremely encouraging, especially from a place like Trinidad and Tobago, which doesn't have a great history on LGBT rights. And it's also particularly exciting because the court's decision could have repercussions in other Caribbean countries that still have sodomy laws. Places like Barbados and even, hopefully, Jamaica. Now, we've been talking about Bermuda and Trinidad and Tobago. And it's worth just taking a moment now to get clear in our minds the important legal and constitutional differences between those two places. Because as I was preparing for today's show, I got a little bit confused. 
So, Bermuda is a British overseas territory. That means it has its own parliament and quite a lot of autonomy to make its own laws, but it's not a sovereign country. It is a territory of the United Kingdom. Trinidad and Tobago, on the other hand, is an independent sovereign country. However, it's also a member of the British Commonwealth and has retained the right of appeal to the Privy Council in London as its highest court. So that's why it's the Privy Council that's going to have the final say on the decriminalization of sodomy in Trinidad and Tobago. So I hope that's clear for you now, dear listener. It's interesting what's happening in both those places. And, well, we'll just have to wait and see what happens in the next few months until everything is finally resolved, hopefully for the better. All right, for our final news story today, let's come home to Australia and hear some good news from the Northern Territory. And that news is that the Northern Territory recently amended its Adoption Act to allow same-sex couples to adopt children. The amendment was approved on March 13th and came into force in April, meaning that now the whole of Australia allows adoption by same-sex couples. So very exciting news. And it's interesting to think back to the early days of Reality Check, back in 2009, when we used to prognosticate about how LGBT rights were going to play out in Australia. What would happen first? Would the entire country get marriage equality while adoption was still not legal in some places? Or would all the states get adoption equality before the whole country got marriage equality? Well, dear listener, we now know the answer. And as it turned out, the two historic moments came very close together. The entire country got marriage equality in January 2018, and then adoption equality just three months later in April 2018. So there you go. It took quite a while, but we made it in the end. And what's good is that that's now all behind us. We've gone through it. We've lived through those turbulent historic times. And now we face a new future for LGBT rights in Australia. And hopefully a much brighter future. I think so. I hope so. All right, that brings us to the end of our LGBT News Roundup for the last four months. Let's take a break now, and when we come back, we'll delve into the mysterious cult of Supreme Master Ching Hai. You may have eaten at her delicious Loving Hut vegetarian restaurants, but how much do you actually know about Supreme Master herself? Well, to find out, stay tuned to Reality Check here on Joy 94.9. Joy 94.9 in Melbourne. Joy.org.au for the world. Do you slide on all your nights like this? 
some spotlight on this life Whatever comes, comes too clear Do you slide on all your nights like this? Do you try on all your nights like this? Put some spotlight Hey, what's going on everybody? This is Neo and you are listening to Joy 94.9 Welcome back to Reality Check. I'm Tony Pittman and the station is Joy 94.9. And the song you just heard there was Slide by Calvin Harris, featuring Frank Ocean, one of the very few openly gay hip-hop artists. Okay, we now move into the part of the show where we undertake a skeptical analysis of a subject related to pseudoscience or the paranormal. And today, we're in the realm of cults and gurus as we delve into the mysterious world of Supreme Master Ching Hai and her vast global empire. Now, I first found out about Supreme Master because I'm vegetarian. And as a vegetarian, I'm very familiar with the Loving Hut chain of restaurants. They serve particularly tasty vegetarian fare, and you can find them in all the Australian capitals and pretty much all other major world cities as well. Over the years, I've tried many different vegetarian restaurants, but I've always been a bit perturbed by the fact that most of them are associated with some religious cult. For example, most cities around the world have at least one vegetarian restaurant run by the Hare Krishnas. Now, their food is normally pretty good, but they are fanatical Hindus with a lot of very weird beliefs and often quite homophobic. So not really the type of people I particularly want to be supporting. And sometimes you can also find vegetarian restaurants run by followers of Sai Baba. Now, he was an infamous Indian guru and cult leader and a fraudster and a closet homosexual who sexually abused countless men and boys. So again, his followers are not exactly the type of people you want to be supporting. So that's why I was delighted to discover, a few years ago, the restaurant chain known as Loving Hut. Loving Hut is the world's largest chain of vegan restaurants, with over 200 branches across Asia, the Americas, Australia, and Europe. They actually have three locations here in Melbourne, and their food, I have to say, is delicious. I love their mock Kentucky Fried Chicken. Mm. So I thought, oh, finally, here's some great vegetarian food, or in this case, vegan food, that's not associated with the Hare Krishnas or Sai Baba. Finally, I thought, a vegetarian restaurant untainted by links with any wacko religious cult. What a great discovery. I mean, their branches do usually have some odd videos playing in the background, always featuring the same Asian woman with long bleached hair giving endless sermons, but, I mean, surely they couldn't be associated with a cult. I mean, their food is so delicious, that would be such a tragedy. 
Anyway, let's have a listen to one of the promotional videos produced by Loving Hut. Loving Hut is an international chain of vegan restaurants inspired by the Supreme Master Ching Hai. An international best-selling writer, spiritual teacher, artist, humanitarian, and successful entrepreneur. Wait, what? Supreme Master Ching Hai? Supreme Master? Oh no, don't tell me Loving Hut is linked to some wacko religious cult as well. Well, yes, dear listener, as you've probably guessed, it is. And in fact, it's one of the most wacko of all, the cult of Supreme Master Ching Hai. And actually, it's not just the Loving Hut restaurant that her followers run. A lot of other local vegetarian restaurants are also run by followers of Supreme Master. For example, in Canberra, the Olak restaurants are run by members of the cult. In Sydney, you can find several outlets of Loving Hut, plus other restaurants such as Dui Lin, Color of Love and Tofu House, all run by followers of Supreme Master. And it's the same situation in many other cities across Australia and throughout the world. So, how do you know if you're in a restaurant linked to the cult of Supreme Master Ching Hai? Well, if you look around carefully, you'll start to notice the signs. Normally, there are pictures of Supreme Master posted on the walls. You'll probably see their slogan everywhere as well. Be vegan, make peace. And they'll normally have a video playing somewhere showing Supreme Master delivering words of wisdom to the adoring crowds. She has quite a distinctive look, so she's pretty easy to recognize. She's an Asian woman, actually born in Vietnam, and she has this long, bleached blonde hair normally tied into a ponytail. And she also has a condition called ptosis, which means a drooping eyelid. So her right eye is mostly half-closed. She's quite recognizable when you see her. Now, her videos are also very easily recognizable because you'll see her, Supreme Master, sitting in front of crowds of devotees delivering a sermon, and the screen is almost completely filled by these very distinctive rows and rows of subtitles in yellow, white, and blue, translating all her wise words into 20 or more different languages. If you haven't seen one of her videos, just look up Supreme Master on YouTube. You'll find hours and hours and hours of her fascinating lectures. I mean, you've got to give her credit for one thing at least. She and her followers are certainly prolific. Actually, if you were living in Australia 10 years ago, you might remember a series of ads on primetime TV promoting veganism and featuring the slogan, Be Veg, Go Green, Save the Planet. Well, they were 
funded by followers of Supreme Master and were a way to get people to visit the website and hopefully join the organization. So, that's what she looks like. What about who exactly she is? Well, she was born in Vietnam in 1950, meaning that she's getting on a bit now. She's 68 years old. And her life story is actually not very clear because, well, her own version of events is not exactly reliable. But it seems that she worked as a nurse in Vietnam during the Vietnam War and met a German doctor there and at the age of 19 got married to him and went off to Germany. They got divorced two years later, but she stayed in Germany where she became a follower of a Buddhist monk for a few years before then moving to India in the late 70s. In India, she became a follower of a controversial guru called Takar Singh. Then in 1983, she moved to Taiwan and that's where she's been based pretty much ever since. Now, soon after arriving in Taiwan, she adopted the name Ching Hai, which means pure ocean. And she also developed what she calls the Kuan Yin method of meditation. And using this method, she finally attained enlightenment, just like the Buddha, apparently. Then, as an enlightened being, she started getting followers and she added the words Supreme Master to her name. And from the late 1980s onwards, she's just been accumulating more and more followers. Actually, let's listen to a clip now from a video of her life story where a narrator explains to us how she became enlightened. Have a listen. Her search took her all the way into the remotest parts of the Himalayas. There, Supreme Master Ching Hai found a living master, and after a period of diligent practice, she attained full enlightenment. After being discovered on several different occasions by truth seekers, Supreme Master Ching Hai accepted her destiny of helping all those who would come to see her. Soon, earnest disciples grew in numbers, and they were in turn eager to share with others the good news about their master's teachings. Across continents, one invitation followed another for Supreme Master Ching Hai to deliver spiritual lectures. In response, she has selflessly circled the globe to give the gift of the Kuan Yin method of meditation and her teachings all free of charge. Oh, isn't that nice? She's so selfless. And of course, I hope you noted there, dear listener, that it was in the Himalayas that she met a master who taught her to become enlightened. Of course, it was in the Himalayas, just like the origin stories of all great gurus. Actually, her real origin story is that she herself was a follower of several gurus in Germany and India and Taiwan. And so she just kind of learnt from what she'd observed and created her own persona 
based on a mishmash of the style and the teachings of the gurus that she had known. And she became a guru herself. Well, sorry, not just a guru, but the supreme master. Now, the other thing that she's done over these last 30 years is that um, not only has she been gaining more and more followers around the world, but she's also developed a global business empire. She launched her own clothing and fashion line in 1995 and then opened the first Loving Hut restaurant in 2008. And they've been growing and spreading around the world ever since, as her number of followers has gradually increased. So, the question arises, what exactly are we dealing with here? How can we label what Supreme Master Ching Hai has created? Is it a cult? Well, experts have described her and her followers as a classic example of a cyber sect a new type of religious group that primarily uses the internet as a means to distribute its texts and recruit new members. And, well, her group certainly has a huge presence on the internet, especially on YouTube. They have hundreds, if not thousands, of hours of videos there. And they even have their own 24-hour TV channel, Supreme Master TV. Yes, dear listener, you can find it online, and there, anytime you want, you can tune in to listen to Supreme Master's sermons, poems, or even songs, 24 hours a day. It's thrilling viewing, believe me. So, it's a cyber sect, and it is also clearly a cult. Supreme Master has all the trappings of a cult leader. She claims to be one of the rare humans in the history of the earth who has achieved true enlightenment, just like the Buddha. In fact, she claims to be a messiah and to be the reincarnation of both Buddha and Jesus. Not bad, huh? In fact, she not only calls herself Supreme Master, but also God's Direct Contact which is the name of her website, actually, godsdirectcontact.com. No ambiguity there. And the thing that I find most distinctive about this cult is that it's truly a cult of personality. The thing that binds her followers together is not a belief system. In fact, I can't even work out what her belief system is. It's just a devotion to her. It's adoration of the leader. That's it. When she dies, the cult can't really continue to exist because there's nothing else to it. There's really no underlying, coherent belief system that exists apart from the guru. I mean, it's interesting to compare this cult to Scientology, which could have died with the death of L. Ron Hubbard, but another leader stepped into his place, David Miscavige, and it kept going. In the case of this cult, I don't think it'll be able to keep going. And I hate to say this, dear listener, but as far as cults and cult leaders go, Supreme Master Ching Hai is, well, she's really kind of the bottom of the barrel. 
in my opinion, she appeals to the lowest common denominator. I mean, I've listened to probably hours of her blatherings on YouTube and she just doesn't have anything interesting to say. At least most gurus try to make pronouncements that sound wise or profound, even if they're not. But Supreme Master just kind of spouts a whole series of long rambling stories sprinkled with snippets of motherly advice and a hodgepodge of completely bizarre and ridiculous claims. She doesn't seem terribly intellectual or even very spiritual. It just doesn't seem like she's trying that hard. And in fact, in that way, she reminds me a lot of Sylvia Brown. She just spouts ridiculous inanities, and yet people follow her and believe her. I can't understand why. As gurus go, to me, she just seems very mediocre and annoying and, dare I say, infantile. I cannot see the attraction. And you do have to wonder about the type of people who become her followers. The kindest thing I can say about them is that they seem to be pretty undiscerning. For example, Supreme Master Ching Hai makes many completely absurd and outlandish claims. Now, one of them is, well, you remember in that life story that we heard about how Supreme Master finally attained enlightenment after meeting the guru deep within the Himalayas, right? Well, his name was Master Kudaji. And according to Supreme Master, he was 450 years old. Yes, she says that right there on her website. Now, you've got to wonder about the state of mind of people who would willingly follow someone who makes a claim like that. She was taught by a man who was 450 years old. Mm. So, she certainly makes a lot of ridiculous claims, but what exactly does she believe? Or what beliefs does she promote in her followers? Well, veganism, that's for sure. But apart from that, it's kind of hard to say. She seems to just take bits and pieces at random from all kinds of religions and belief systems. She talks about Buddha and Jesus and other deities and angels and saints. And she spends a lot of time explaining all the ways you can earn spiritual points to get into heaven. Having long hair helps, apparently. Gives you extra points. Her lectures cover pretty much the whole gamut of wacko New Age beliefs. A lot about UFOs and crop circles and ancient aliens and life on Venus, apparently. She also promoted the 2012 apocalypse, which didn't happen, by the way. Plus, she's anti-GMO and believes in the whole range of alternative medicines. <sighs> of course she does. It's just a whole New Age smorgasbord, basically. There doesn't really seem to be any underlying 
philosophy or theory behind it all. All right, let's hear now from Supreme Master herself to give you a kind of a taste of what I'm talking about. Uh, let's hear uh, first a clip of one of her more interesting beliefs. Here she is sharing some of her amazing insights about the pyramids. During Wednesday's video conference, Supreme Master Qinghai shed light on the background and information about who had built the world's ancient pyramids and why. The intergalactic beings built the pyramids so that some higher developed spiritual master would come down to the earth and teach some chosen earthlings to elevate to higher consciousness and to higher frequency. Hmm? so that they can adjust to the new planet when they come up. Yeah? Better than our Earth. Better than our Earth. When they're ready, then they go with them in the heavenly chariot. We call UFO nowadays. Yeah, the UFO will land it between pyramids and they have the energy on the top of the pyramid to give signal, you know, for the UFO to land. Like the sea lighthouse for the ship. Oh, wow. Oh, it's so incredible. Oh, thank you, Master, for sharing your amazing insights. And as Ross and Carrie would say, I'm sure it's all true. Now, I have plenty of other clips I could play. She talks about visiting other planets and she talks about how people on those other planets envy the Earth because we have apple trees and apricot trees and nice things like that. And she goes on about past lives and how she has been kings and queens and all kinds of amazing things in her past lives. Um, but I think I'll play a clip here of her giving a speech at a black tie dinner and this is more a clip to show you not where she's saying something outrageous but just her kind of rambling style that's largely incomprehensible. So here she is talking about how to get those spiritual points that you need to get into heaven. Have a listen. Now I'm going to tell you something about the spiritual diaries, you know, just a part of it, concerning us and concerning your life and the planet. It's our concern. We all heard that humans' life is precious. Have you heard it? Buddha say that it's easier for a turtle, a turtle, to go all the way from the bottom of the ocean up to the surface and to meet one random little piece of wood <laughs> that passing by with a little hole in it. It's easier than to become a human, I mean to have a human birth. But you hurt like that, but you don't know how precious it is. I'm going to put it uh, here mathematically so you know how many. It's like money, you know. You are all zillions, zillions of zillions air just being a human. Not in terms of money, but in terms of spiritual points. Heaven do cow points, you know. And she goes on and on and on like that about 
turtles and spiritual points and how to get into heaven and I don't know. Again, I cannot understand why people are attracted to her and her amazing teachings. Now, she says a lot of outrageous, absurd, or simply incomprehensible things, but there is one point at least where she actually says some things that are dangerous because she believes in breatharianism. Now, that's the idea that humans don't have to eat or drink but can just live on the energy from the sun and the universe. I'll play a clip here of her responding to a question from a follower about how to become a breatharian. Have a listen. And she's in Costa Rica, so there's a woman translating into Spanish. So if you really want to be breatharian, you have to go find somebody to lead you through a 21-day process. First week, no eat, no drink. Not even a drop, not even a grain of rice. And on the eighth day, second week, you drink diluted fruit juice. Did you hear that, dear listener? Her advice is to have nothing to eat or drink, no water, nothing for seven days. That's what she tells her devoted, credulous followers. Nothing to drink for seven days. Seven days. Well, she must really love her followers very much because she wants them all to go to heaven very soon. Because after seven days without water, they'll all be dead. Now, most humans could possibly survive three or four days, but seven, that's suicide, literally. And she just blindly tells her followers, no eat, no drink, seven days. Not a drop. Now, that seems a little irresponsible, if you ask me. Anyway, enough of Supreme Master's more outrageous otherworldly claims. Let's come back to earthly matters here and investigate a little about how successful is Supreme Master exactly in her business empire. How much money does she have? Well, nobody knows, but it would seem to be in the hundreds of millions of dollars. As well as all her restaurants and her fashion line, she also owns a chain of meditation centers. And because she's the supreme master and so supremely gifted in every field, she also designs and sells her own jewelry and handbags, and even paintings and photographs and other artworks, all made by the Supreme Master herself. And they're all available for sale at her online shop. How very convenient! You can buy all of those things and other accessories like lamps and furniture and, best of all, hundreds of books and CDs and DVDs all containing the wise words of Supreme Master herself. You can even get CDs of her songs. Yes, dear listener, that's right. Supreme Master sings 
as well. Let's have a listen to one of her delightful songs right now. Delightful, dear listener. Now, I would like to play the rest of the song, but I had to fade it out because, you know, we have time constraints here on Reality Check. But don't worry, you can buy plenty of CDs of Supreme Master right there at her online shop. And I know that you're very grateful with me for sharing that beautiful song with you. Now, Supreme Master also owns another website, Loving Hut Supply, where you can buy a vast range of hundreds of vegan meats and other vegan products, including even vegan dog food. And, of course, Loving Hut franchisees are strongly encouraged to buy all their ingredients from that website, which is a particularly profitable arrangement for Supreme Master, I'm sure. Now, it's not just from her restaurants and online shopping sites that Supreme Master makes her money, though. She also receives very generous donations from her followers. There are even stories of some people selling their houses and giving everything to Supreme Master. It is kind of odd, though, that someone who's so spiritual and whose message is all about rejecting the material world and becoming enlightened, can seem to really enjoy so much all the trappings of wealth and power, all the luxuries and material possessions. Very odd, isn't it? But she certainly seems to enjoy those things. I mean, for starters, look at her. She always wears nice clothes and jewelry and lots of makeup. She's very concerned about looking good. And she seems to enjoy living in very luxurious villas and mansions. She owns quite a lot of them around the world. And for someone whose slogan is be veg, go green, save the planet, it seems she doesn't always care for the planet as well as she could. Because in 2004, workers at one of her Florida waterfront mansions constructed an artificial island and boardwalk extending from her property into the Biscayne National Park. In the process, they destroyed large swathes of protected seagrass and a section of coastal mangrove. The state of Florida then had to spend over a million dollars to try 
to repair the damage to the ecosystem and they ended up expropriating the entire property from Supreme Master. But I guess that must have been what God wanted because, I mean, she is God's direct contact after all. And Supreme Master's legal problems don't end there. She's had other legal and financial troubles with properties throughout the United States, and she's also been investigated for financial improprieties in both the U.S. and Taiwan. And the Loving Hut restaurant group, in particular, has been the subject of numerous investigations and even arrests for tax irregularities, financial mismanagement, and unethical business practices involving undocumented and unpaid labor. In 2010, Supreme Master herself was arrested at one of her villas in Italy. In the raid, police seized 40,000 euros, a luxury sports car, and eight illegally imported macaws. Yes, dear listener, macaws, the colorful bird. In fact, it seems that Supreme Master has a thing for collecting exotic animals. She has quite a few menageries at her various villas. I guess that's all part of saving the planet as well. Hmm, must be. There are also many other allegations made against Loving Hut and the Supreme Master Qinghai cult. Mostly they're centered around restaurant owners who exploit the religious zeal of her followers, other cult members, by getting them to do unpaid or underpaid work in their restaurants. In fact, this seems to be probably the biggest criticism of the organization overall. The way it manipulates its devoted followers to help out by donating their time, labor, money, and property, all in the name of helping the organization, the cult, and saving the planet, supposedly. So, what's the upshot of all this? In other words, sure, Supreme Master runs a dodgy cult, but does that mean we have to boycott Loving Hut? Well, a few months ago, I recommended that we boycott Gloria Jean's Coffee and Crust Pizza and several other fast food chains because of their association with the homophobic Hillsong Church. But I have to admit, I feel slightly different about Loving Hut. Yes, it's a cult run by an egomaniacal, exorbitantly rich leader who promotes some ridiculous and clearly false beliefs. And yes, it has some dubious financial and business practices and is probably exploitative of its members. So... Given the choice, I would generally prefer not to eat at Loving Hut. But I can't help feeling that compared with some of the other cults and religious sects out there, 
it doesn't seem like such a terribly harmful influence in the world. I mean, they are genuinely devoted to promoting veganism and the ethical treatment of animals, which I'm all in favor of, and they're not really spreading homophobia or racism or any other corrosive and reprehensible beliefs. So it's hard to feel too angry about them. So, dear listener, if you really love the mock Kentucky Fried Chicken served at Loving Heart, and it is tasty, well, I wouldn't feel too guilty about eating there. But eating at Loving Heart is one thing. Actually, joining the cult is something else. So if someone approaches you on the street someday with a brochure featuring a photo of a smiling Asian woman with long blonde hair saying, be vegan, make peace, just turn and walk away, dear listener. Walk away very fast. All right, that brings us to the end of our analysis of Supreme Master Ching Hai. If you'd like to send in a comment or question on today's show or an idea for a future show, please send us an email. The address is realitycheckedtony at gmail.com. All right, let's take a quick break now, and when we come back, we'll get into this week's movie review. As we take you to new heights, enjoy 94.9. This is Senator Penny Wong. You're listening to Australia's Joy 94.9. Welcome back to Reality Check with me, Tony Pittman, on Joy 94.9. Also streaming live at joy.org.au and also available as a podcast to listen to anywhere in the world on your little pod. The song you just heard there was Uneme by Dan Maschiarelli featuring Ashley Perez. Okay, it's movie review time here on Reality Check, and the movie up for review today is the French drama BPM, also known as 120 beats per minute, or in French, 120 battements par minute. Now, this film has been lauded by critics. It won the Grand Prix at Cannes last year, and also won six of this year's César Awards in France, including Best Film. It has a score of 98% on Rotten Tomatoes and 84% on Metacritic. And I have to say, I agree with the critics. This film is extraordinary. It's one of the best films of the last few years, and in my opinion, a must-see movie. It tells a very powerful story and uses a refreshingly original style. 
and I think it marks a milestone in the history of cinema. Now, BPM is the latest film from French director Robin Campillo. The story it tells is about a group of ACT UP members in Paris in the early 90s, back in the time before antiretrovirals when AIDS was virtually a death sentence. Now, ACT UP actually first began in New York in 1987, and then the Paris chapter got going two years later in 1989. So this is still in the very early years of ACT UP. The film shows several of the direct actions undertaken by the group, including throwing fake blood at members of a government AIDS committee and storming the offices of a multinational pharmaceutical corporation. It also shows the types of often heated discussions and debates that went on at ACT UP meetings. And then, as the story progresses, the film kind of moves its focus from the more theoretical and political debates to the personal lives of several of the members of the group, as the virus slowly begins to take its toll on their immune systems. And I warn you, dear listener, this is an AIDS movie, so the ending packs a very powerful emotional wallop. So be prepared. It's a fabulous movie, but not an easy watch. In fact, it's probably not a film that's going to appeal to a very wide audience. For one, it's quite long. It's uh, two hours and 20 minutes. And it also has a very unusual narrative structure. As I mentioned, most of the first half of the film consists of those long discussions inside the ACT UP meetings. The members discuss strategies of the group and debate how to achieve their goals. And they give presentations on the latest science about HIV and how the virus replicates and how the pharmaceuticals that are upcoming might be able to treat it. So for a lot of the time, you feel almost like you're watching a documentary from that time. I personally found it absolutely fascinating and was totally engrossed. But it's probably not a style that will appeal to everyone. Also, for the first half of the film, it's not clear who the protagonists are. It's only as you move into the second half that the story begins to focus on two members in particular, Sean and Nathan, and it really becomes their story. Also, wonderfully, there are these brief, transcendent moments where the camera suddenly just pulls away from the action entirely and just focuses on some dust particles in the air, which then gradually morph into virus particles that then attack a white blood cell. It's moments like these that show you're in the hands of a bold and talented director who really knows how to tell a story in a powerful and original way. Now, I should also admit that I'm probably particularly susceptible to 
appreciate this film because, well, I remember very well the early years of ACT UP and I actually was living in Paris in the mid-1990s, so very close to the time that this story takes place. I knew many people then in Paris who could easily have been characters from this movie. So watching their story and seeing all the fashions of the time and the music and all those discussions they were having about the science of HIV and the politics, well, it all brought back a lot of memories. I think maybe that's why I was so affected by this film. It really stayed with me for a long time after I saw it. Anyway, the movie is called BPM. It's a very powerful and a refreshingly original cinematic experience. And it's also an official reality check must-see movie. If you haven't caught it already, make plans to do so. I don't think you'll regret it. Now, one final request, dear listener. If you subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, please leave us a review. This helps other people find the show. Thanks. All right, that brings us to the end of the 77th episode of Reality Check. I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember to send any questions, comments, or feedback to realitycheck.tony at gmail.com. And visit our website to subscribe to the podcast. That's at realitycheconline.blogspot.com. Have a great week. I'm off to Asia and Europe in a couple of days, but I'll be back with the next episode of Reality Check once I get back in a couple of months. See you then. Thanks for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.